0: disappearance of Don Kemp. On April 12, 1984, a New York advertising man's disappearance from a desolate Wyoming highway has all the ingredients of an intriguing mystery novel, except for the final chapter. The reason they said this is because the final chapter is unable to be written. The mystery itself has not been solved, and it's a complex web of cryptic clues that, despite the passing of more than 30 years, remain ever elusive. His mother once said, this is just a horror, while his sister said, it was all my fault that we ever went to that house in Maryland. I'm sorry I ever suggested it. I don't know what everything means. It's all so weird. The story is so much more bizarre than I told at the time. It is the most intriguing true story, which encompasses the presidential assassination, seances, cover-ups, robberies, ghosts, and the deaths of anyone connected to it and, of course, the disappearance and unexplained death of her brother, Don. His sister said, This all started because of a seance at that house, and everything went crazy from there. I still don't like to think about that night. But there was much more to it than that. It was November 1982, and her brother, Donald Kemp, was working in New York City at an advertising agency, Outside of work, however, he was a passionate researcher into Abraham Lincoln. In particular, he was most interested in the circumstances surrounding the President's assassination. So much so, that he belonged to a group who shared their obsession for Lincoln, and indeed, he had spent much time on his own privately researching too, with the intention of writing a book about it. Don had only recently partially recovered from a traffic accident, and it was believed that he had been left with permanent injury as a result of it. Whether it was as a consequence of his slow recovery from this accident, as some have theorised, that led him to abandon the rat race of New York City and take off for the wilds of Wyoming in search of tranquility and respite, or whether, as he told his friends, he'd made the decision to go out of the city because he intended to finally write his book on Abraham Lincoln. We cannot be sure. Don had been researching it for many months and he had amassed an enormous amount of paperwork and notes with which he was to construct the book and certainly some of his friends and family believed that was why he'd headed there to that desolate place. He left New York City with his car packed full of his belongings and headed west. On his journey, he stopped off at a museum in Cheney. He reportedly spent a couple of hours there, leaving without realising he'd left behind his briefcase. The next night, his vehicle was found abandoned with the engine still running on a remote road in a Wyoming prairie, about 40 miles from the nearest town. Don was nowhere to be seen. The doors were open and a trail of clothing was strewn across the road. A set of footprints in the snow appeared to indicate that he had walked away across the field. After his vehicle was reported to local law enforcement, a search was initiated immediately. A duffel bag was discovered some distance from the car, containing items that were later identified as belonging to Don, and rather strangely, three of his socks were found six miles away in a barn, lying next to a pile of wood, which appeared to have been perhaps gathered in order to build a fire. Due to a snow blizzard, the search for Don had to be abandoned after three days. During the search, local law enforcement said they found no other tracks in the snow apart from a single trail of footsteps. They covered the area by helicopter too, but again found nothing that would indicate anyone else had been there. But neither could they find any trace of Don. Though they'd found the footprints, the footprints didn't lead anywhere. Very oddly, they appeared to just simply stop after a short distance. How could his footprints just stop like that? Where did he go? How could he have gone anywhere without leaving more footprints? The missing man's family asked the local sheriff if a search could be carried out using tracker dogs. But the sheriff said this would not be possible now perhaps because of the blizzard conditions that had set in during the search for Don. Police believed the missing man had to have died out there in the harsh conditions, although the bad weather only set in a couple of days after Don's disappearance. Don was not in the barn where they found three of his socks, and he was not out anywhere on the snow-covered prairie. Although a blizzard did come, it had not been snowing at the time that his car was found abandoned. The snow arrived three days later. Five months later, Two separate individuals came forward to say they had seen Don in Casper, Wyoming, and Janie. Then, a close friend back in New York City received several missed phone calls. She was out of the city when the calls were made to her apartment, but an answer phone message had been left for her, and when she returned and listened to the messages, she heard Don's voice, or at least, she was absolutely sure it was his voice. The police managed to trace the phone number that these calls had come from to a trailer in Wyoming. The resident of the trailer was a young man by the name of Mark Dennis. Unfortunately, he claimed to have no knowledge of the calls ever having been made, despite them appearing on his phone bill. The local sheriff questioned him several times about these calls, the man denied having made them. The sheriff said he felt satisfied with this. The missing man's mother, however, was not satisfied. She questioned the young man too, most insistently determined to get to the truth, but again, the man in the trailer said he was not able to tell her anything. Or perhaps he was not prepared to. The police though said they did not have enough reason to obtain a search warrant for his home and the young man sought out the service of a lawyer and later moved away from the area entirely. It was to be four long years later that Don's mother was able to have some closure or was she. Her son's body was found four years later not far from the spot in which his car had been found abandoned. His body was in pristine condition It was suggested that he had died of exposure, not long after his unexplained disappearance. So perhaps it was a simple but tragic case of a man's unplanned disappearance due, as some have theorised, to some kind of nervous breakdown, which caused him to evacuate his car in the middle of nowhere and walk off into the distance to inevitable death in the cold climate of Wyoming. The thing is, the story isn't so cut and dried. It leaves an array of cryptic unanswered questions. In completely unprecedented circumstances, his body had not attracted any natural predators. No animals or vultures had been drawn to his dead body. There was no way that his body had been covered by snow for four years. The snow would have melted, and it hadn't been snowing the night he disappeared, nor for two further days. Also, his footprints didn't lead anywhere. Where they stopped, there should have been a body, but there wasn't, and the authorities had looked there for three days when he'd disappeared. He also wasn't seen anywhere during the search. There'd been no sign of him whatsoever. His friend Judy Alio, artist in New York, had been Don's co-worker for 10 years prior to his disappearance. She knew his voice well. She said that she received five calls from him to her phone line while she was away. On February the 27th, she received two phone messages on her answer phone, two more on April the 5th. Don's mother said she recognised his voice. She said my son spoke in a strained, urgent voice and gave a number where he could be reached. The artist's number was unlisted. She could not be called without someone already knowing her number. The question is, how could Don have made that call when the cops believed he'd died very soon after he disappeared? His backpack was found soon after his car was abandoned. Did someone else make those calls? Someone pretending to be him? Why would they do that? Was it a prank? Was it the guy from the trailer who said he had never met Don? Or had someone else stolen his backpack? His sister wonders, did that man come across my brother's body and take his possessions, including his phone book? And this is where it gets weird. She said, this man looked very, very similar to my brother. I looked in high school pictures. They could have been twins. Did this person kill my brother and take his personal things? Or could it have been a case of mistaken identity because they looked so alike? They were practically doppelgangers. What are the odds that Don would disappear in the middle of nowhere only for the single lead to point them to a doppelganger of Don? When Judy, the artist, returned to New York, she heard the messages and called the number he'd left on the answer phone. A man picked up, and when she asked to speak to her friend Don, he said yes, followed swiftly by no, and then hung up. It was the man who lived in the trailer, the man Don's mother believed had to be involved. Online, over the years, people have put forward the idea that her son was secretly gay and had been experimenting with his sexuality. His sister, however, responded to these allegations by stating that he had been a well-liked and handsome man who'd been very popular with the ladies, and said Don was most certainly not gay. He was very much a ladies' man, and he was engaged. She described him further as magnetic and extremely intelligent. While the sheriff, Captain Mark Benton, said that his investigation into the man in the trailer was inconclusive, he also didn't pursue the matter further, believing he had nothing to go on. He said the man implied someone else made the calls from the trailer without his knowledge. But the sheriff couldn't confirm or disprove this. Don's mother felt that the investigation lacked thoroughness, particularly with regards to this man, and noted that her son's car was not fingerprinted, nor were casts made of footprints that led away from the car. The police appeared to be quite keen to go along with the conclusion that her son died of exposure because, presumably, they felt they had little else to go on. They were keen to push the theory that Don had suffered some kind of mental breakdown and walked away across the prairie in a protracted act of suicide. Yet his footprints had mysteriously and inexplicably simply stopped, and his body had not been there when they'd looked for him. Don's sister, as well as his mother, were not of the opinion that this was a suicide at all. His mother believes he was abducted by the male who lived in the trailer, or perhaps a different male or males, and that he was held prisoner in the trailer then killed. If that were the case, however, why were his socks found in a barn six miles from the scene of his abandoned car, along with a pile of firewood? The alternatives to the explanation that he abandoned his own vehicle and walked away to certain self-inflicted death is that he was abducted. The problem with this, of course, lies in the lack of second trailer footprints although some suggest that an abductor holding a gun to the back of Don's head could have stepped in the same footprints as Don to conceal his own. The abductor would have to have walked with a great deal of confidence and carefulness to have succeeded in doing this, though, and it doesn't seem likely. And the barn was six miles, so he would have had to have done that for six miles. Perhaps it's still possible, but it seems a bit far-fetched. Perhaps there were only three socks found in the barn because the fourth sock had been pushed into Don's mouth to keep him quiet. The missing footprints, the phone calls, which could not have been a mistake on the part of the phone company, the calls were itemised on the trailer occupiers' phone bill. Had Don been abducted then and held at this man's trailer? But how did his body come to be found in pristine condition and so very close to the scene of his disappearance, yet four years later? Locals expressed the strangeness of the circumstances. They didn't think his body would have been left alone by the natural predators out there, and the harsh weather too. They said it would all have taken a toll on his body before it was found, even if he had been frozen and hidden under snow. Also, how could a body lie out in the open for so long and not be noticed if, as the police had believed, he had been there all that time? Even though it was a remote location, the land had to be owned by someone. He disappeared when it wasn't snowing, so he couldn't have been buried by snow. Would the landowners have left their land unchecked for four years? If Don had killed himself, or been killed, his body would have been there, and it surely would have been found. Had he been abducted by someone who had blocked his path on the road, someone with another vehicle who had flashed their lights at him to make him stop, or placed a hazard in the road which forced him to stop? Did someone pretend to be a distressed person in need of his help? If so, why would one set of footprints lead away, and then just stop? Why would he have been placed back in the same spot four years later, after he'd been killed? How was his body discovered in a condition that was completely unmarked and untouched? As Don's footsteps were the only ones found, had he fled from someone or something? Had he run in a desperate attempt to get away from someone or something? He was in the middle of nowhere. What are the chances a random robber or kidnapper chose to assault him at that spot? How would they know anyone would be coming along that quiet road? Or maybe they'd followed him. Maybe they were following him for a while and specifically waiting for this quiet road. Of course, if that had been the case, there's still the mystery of the one set of footprints. None of it makes any sense at all. His sister has much more information, however, but it leads in an entirely different direction, and one that is incredible, to say the least. After her brother's death, his sister said, an expert professor from the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, called Dr. Angel, called and asked for my brother's remains. We approved it, and his body was sent there to him. This doctor said that my brother's body was in perfect condition, untouched, and he concluded that there was no way he'd been laying in the open for the last three years. It was unheard of, he said. It couldn't have happened. Not with wolves and bears. And she continues, that So much has occurred that wasn't known, but it's beyond bizarre. Some happened before his death, some happened after. The doctor was a consultant to the FBI and an expert in anatomy and anthropology. How did this doctor at the Institute even hear about my brother? What made him contact us? Why did he want to see my brother's body? This doctor told us that his body was totally untouched and that he had been dead no longer than one to two years. There was something else very, very strange. I know it was my brother's body because he verified other injuries he had sustained before in his life. Then he told me that his hyoid bone, which is the U-shaped bone in the neck that supports the tongue, was missing, and there was a small, perfectly round hole in his head. He was insistent, the doctor, that nothing he knew was capable of causing that hole. He said he had never seen anything like it, that his body was in perfect condition. He meant it was mummified. Before my brother left for Wyoming, he had given me a book. It was about the universe. He turned to a page that said, The Pleiades, and he said to me, I don't know why, but I feel this may be of some importance. In the same area that my brother disappeared, before we found Don's remains, there was a UFO group run by a Dr. Springer. They said they were there because of some cattle mutilations. One member of this group phoned me, and they told me that they believed they had taken my brother. They told us they had been camping out in the area due to cattle mutilations, and my brother had been taken. They were camped out the night my brother went missing, they said. They called me a couple of years later, telling me things. I dismissed them as being off the wall. But after we found my brother and the Smithsonian doctor told us his findings, I didn't know what to think. I also wondered years later, how did Dr. Angel hear about Don's case? It hadn't been on TV. And this, of course, was in a time before the internet and social media. It was also before the dearth of paranormal and alien shows that started appearing on mainstream TV. She said at that moment, when contacted by Dr. Springer, I didn't believe things could get any more insane. Then, all that time later, when they found my brother's body, and the doctor at the Smithsonian examined him, in his report and what he told me was that he was completely puzzled over how my brother's body was so preserved and how the hole in the skull had been made. If my brother had just walked out of his vehicle, had a mental breakdown, then how did that account for the doctor's findings? Was he killed because someone thought he knew something related to UFOs? How did this group have anything to do with it? His body was mummified and the hole, according to the doctor, was not caused by any animals nor by any known instrument. I had put the book Don has given me on my bookshelf and had forgotten all about it as soon as he'd given it to me. The UFO group who'd been camped out in the area and who later contacted me said they felt that whatever they were out there looking for, they came from a place called the Pleiades. The same word Don told me I might need to know. When the doctor attempted to replicate the wound he found on Don's head, he found it impossible. When my brother first went missing, we had lots of calls from UFO people, but I dismissed them all. I know it all sounds crazy, and yet I'm talking about the facts. There is also something else which plays its part in the story. Something happened before all of this. It was my fault we ever went to the house in Maryland. I don't know what everything means. It's so weird. My brother had already done years of research into Lincoln when we visited Surat House Museum in Maryland. There was a woman at the reception. She asked us if my brother was the man writing the book. When he said yes, she said she had been told by someone to give him their name and number. I hesitate to talk about this because it unsettles me still, but my brother contacted the person and it turned out to be a young lady. She said she was a psychic and she wanted him to come to a séance. She told him she had been contacted in regards to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Don said he would go because it would be fun and he couldn't pass that up. So, one night, we went to her house. He brought his best friend and there was a group of us all together, including her husband, and we sat around this lady's dinner table. In the centre was a Ouija board. My brother had brought with him a tape recorder and he set up a camera to record anything that happened. We began, and the psychic began to ask questions out loud, and the planchette started to move. She then began speaking in a strange voice, speaking with words that were very antiquated. She also said things she couldn't have known, unusual names that she could not have any prior knowledge of, but that were relevant to us. Some of her knowledge frightened me because she couldn't have known it. Then she began choking, and I could see a red line forming across her neck. The room became freezing and the camera began to flick its lights on and off. In the flashing of the camera I could see the shadow of what looked like a woman in the hallway. It looked like she had a long dress on with a bustle in the skirt. The room became colder than ever and it felt as though evil had entered the room. The room became loud, I know, because my brother had to shout over everyone to be heard. I don't know why but there was chaos in the room and he shouted at everyone to get away from the table. He got us all together and he said the Lord's Prayer out loud. I guess he didn't know what else to do. But gradually everything would turn to normal again. After that, I never went to a seance again, but I know my brother did, because he stayed in contact with this psychic. I know it's easy to dismiss this and laugh it off, but I know this was just not hysteria. I was there when it happened. I know what I saw, and I know what I felt, and I would never want to have that experience again. A lot more happened after this, but I removed myself from it. That evil, whatever it was, was palpable. My brother had done years of research among the archives on the assassination. He told me he had uncovered something very disturbing, but he didn't tell me exactly what it was. Did Don discover something, or did someone know he had found something, or did they think he'd found something? Perhaps it was all coincidence, but I don't know how else to explain all the robberies and break-ins and deaths. In 1983, Don's mother asked one of Don's friends if he would go back to Wyoming and drive her son's car back. The friend took a plane and went to claim the car then began the drive back to Maryland. The vehicle was broken into when he parked it overnight in a motel as he slept. Many of Don's research papers were stolen. When the van was parked at the airport, it was broken into again. When the car was returned to the family in Maryland, it was broken into once more, and further personal items relating to his research were taken. When the remaining items were put into storage, another theft occurred. Now, almost all his independent research on the assassination had been taken. Some of the remaining papers were given to a historian, who died very soon after in a traffic accident. A few audio tapes remained, which had not been in storage or in the car. The family donated these to a man called Frank Carrington in Virginia. Soon after taking possession of the audio tapes, his house was burnt down with him in it and he died. Other papers, which the family still had, were donated to a Civil War store. According to Don's sister, the owner of the store died in an accident, and the papers were nowhere to be found. Once all of his research had been destroyed or taken, all of the break-ins and accidents stopped. Don's friend, when he arrived back at his own home and parked the car outside, he found two coins on the floor. One was face-up and had been made in the year his friend had been born. The other was face-down and had been made in the year Don had vanished. Coincidence presumably, but Don's friend said Don had a thing about coins. He would say if you find one face-up it's good luck, if you find one face-down it's bad luck. As the years have passed, I've continued to see coins when I travel, and almost all of them are from the year he disappeared. How do I explain that? I continue to have experiences where I feel he's trying to tell us something from the afterlife. What was Don Kemp's family being fed disinformation about UFOs and cattle mutilations to divert their suspicions that Don had been silenced because of the information he said he had uncovered about Abraham Lincoln's assassination? And yet the assassination happened so long ago, Was it really that sensitive if a revelation came out? If it was proof that the official version of the assassination was not the correct one, then perhaps it was. If it was a disinformation campaign, however, how did that explain the unidentified wound in his skull and the strange paranormal happenings? Had Don staged his own disappearance? Had he fled and been hiding out in the barn? Had he been abducted and held prisoner? Why was the sheriff so reluctant to bring in search dogs? What had his doppelganger in the trailer to do with his disappearance and death? Had Don made the phone calls himself in an attempt to seek help from someone? Where had his body been for the years it had been missing? How had it become mummified? Why couldn't the experts work out how the hole in his skull had been made? What had he uncovered in his research about Abraham Lincoln? It appears to have resulted in a number of people's mysterious accidents and deaths. And how did his footprints just simply stop in the middle of nowhere?